Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the final episode, the final one, the self-indulgent one of the 1987 Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective. The last time we'll be looking back at the 1987 Rugby World Cup. And you know what? I am both excited to see the back of it and also very glad that we did it. Yeah, yeah. I think that, look, I will miss this, but Mm. above all... We've made it through what was at times a challenging season and we've made it's the last day of term. We've got our little board games out and our cocktail sausages, vegetarian cocktail sausages in your case. What else could you ask for? I'll tell you what you could ask for. It's a name and it's Will Owen. Whoa! I was just about to ask for one of those. Thank you so much for giving me one. Is that my last day of term present? (laughs) That's your present. That's your present. You're getting your own name that you've already had as a gift. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. That's so thoughtful. And in return, I actually also brought you a gift. Really? It's um, a selection of names. So you are Robbie or Squidge or whatever people want to call you. Oh, wow. What do they want to call me? We'll never know. So, yeah, thank you for joining us for our wrap-up episode on the 1987 Rugby World Cup podcast. If you haven't listened to any of the others, please go back and have a fun through, pick a game that you think will be fun, and invariably end up discovering a shit rugby player from 1987 that you've never heard of, because that's what we did every week. And if you have listened to any of the other previous episodes of this series, why? <laughs> no, 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 no. Thank you for doing it. No, thank you. No, no, no. It's been... An enormous privilege to be enabled on this bizarre quest that we've set ourselves watching every Rugby World Cup match. It's bizarre, isn't it, that anybody will have listened to just two random siblings having a chat about random rugby games from 35 years ago where they know none of the players and none of it's really that good. It is the magic of the internet. It It really really is. is. The fact that there is somebody out there in the world that would care about that remotely that is willing to pretend that canada be ireland 54,019 to 46 right yeah it's it's truly remarkable that anybody has, has paid any attention on this journey so i'm extremely grateful to anybody who has anybody who's listened anybody who's written in and tweeted in and so on to say that they've really enjoyed the podcast has been it's been a hell of a journey but right without further ado we've got through all of the games of this tournament we, we have. have now watched them all. The big question I want to ask first, right, is how do you think this compares to the 2011 World Cup, which we also covered in the previous series of this podcast? How do you think these two tournaments stack up? You say, first and foremost, that we've watched all of the games in this tournament. We have mm. watched all the games in the tournament, plus the other one that didn't happen, that we made up. Yes! Which... Yes, we haven't really talked about this. <laughs> yes. So... so, I mentioned it on the World Cup final episode, mm. that we made up a game. Yes. It was an idea we had before this tournament started that do you think anyone would notice if 
we did all 32 games plus throw in the 33rd game that just didn't exist yeah yeah so i'll see if i can find the those so we had a, we had a match... text conversation with it about it where one day i just messaged you saying wait what i've just had an idea for the podcast can we cover a game that didn't happen and then we just kind of very gradually thought of ideas, didn't we? And then eventually yeah. on the day itself, we had a, a prior call where we set up a team sheet, what happened in the game and so on. And we came up with France 31, USA 15. Yes. So I've got up our team sheet, as it were. And mm. I think it's well worth listening back to that episode, even if you've already listened to it. Now with the knowledge that it was made up, yeah. <laughs> because I think it it plays very differently whether you know or don't know. Like yeah, you could hear it's just a normal episode of the podcast and be like, huh, huh look, look at that. It's they talk about Kevin Higgins. Yeah, and then you listen to it and be like, oh, his opposite numbers, Patrice LeBon, who doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. We did have a handful of people who wrote in saying like, did this happen? Who we then yes. came clean to privately because we wanted to see how many people would catch on. That was kind of a part of it. And a lot of people got the joke. There was one person in particular whose name I've completely forgotten said, unbelievable content, lads. I've got great memories of Sandy Lom playing on the wing for the USA Eagles, which so, made me very happy. It's like, you get the joke. I'm going to very quickly run through the team sheets for that game. Okay. Right? Yeah. So we had Serge Blanco, who was real and did play in this World Cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's we had real. Jean-Luc Sardinet, who is a real player, but would not play for France for another two years after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had, and also was playing out of position. We had Philippe Seller, who is one of the all-time greats. Fine. We had Patrice Le Bon joining him, who is not real. We completely made that man up. Yeah, I once really struggled player. to like think of what his hair might look like whilst we were oh, live. I know exactly what his L- hair looked like. Po- there was a point where you you like dobbed me in on that, and yeah. We have Frank Menzel on the wing. <laughs> He's a fly half. Fly half. And we said he moved the wing and was really angry about it. We have Guy Laporte at ten. We have Rodif Modon. Who it was a one cap He only ever played once for France, and so we had like a whole controversy <laughs> about whether it was actually his first or second cap that we continued for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, we had Julio Clement at loosehead, and now you might think, "Oh, that's a, that's a real player." You know, there's a real player called Julio Clement. <laughs> I'm gonna with you. I can't remember. There is, but he played for Argentina in this World Cup. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. It's also, it's worth noting, at some point, when we did our kind of pre-call for this, we did Mm. record that. Maybe at some point that's something that go up for patrons, but I'll be honest, we've we've got the Rugby World Cup, the the Women's World Cup to be specific, having just started, like, it's not at the top of my priorities to edit that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get to that eventually. We have, uh, and this is my favourite one for everything that's followed, at uh, hooker Pascal Loray, mm. who we sold as being Weiss's as Loray, the France flanker's father. Yes. Now, this guy is made up. Mm-hmm. Loray, Weiss's Loray obviously did have a father. Yeah. He did not play for France and he was not heir to a clothing brand. I made <laughs> every other detail of that up. However, my favourite thing is, a guy got in touch with me. And said, I've just been listening to this and trying to go back and I can't find any footage of this France-USA game that you talk about because it sounds amazing. And I went to look it up and I was like, oh, we actually made it up. That's why you can't find it. And he then replied saying, I thought so because I'm actually really, it was a French guy, said, I'm actually really good friends with Boisus Laurie. And I never <laughs> knew that his father played for France. No and I was thinking, like, I need to bring it up with him next time I see him, like, in a few weeks' time. That's an incredible piece of correspondence. And fair play to that guy for going along with the joke and so on. Yeah. That's brilliant. Can you imagine if he did have that conversation? I'm like, no, my dad's not called Pascal. He didn't play for France. No, he's not got a, a carpet firm or whatever it was he said he had. A car dealership. 
Like, no, none of, none of that's real. What are you on about? Oh, well, this this, this podcast. <laughs> the Yeah, then we then have Jean-Pierre, Gary Lemapoux. We have Jean Condon. We have Alan Leroux, who are all real players. Yeah. We had to pepper them into the team. Yeah. Eric Champ at six as well. We then had Roman Fevre, right? And Roman Fevre, I just went to a random name generator and looked for French names. And the first first name and surname that came up were Roman and Fevre, so I put him in. And then I went to a random <laughs> hobbies generator and looked for random hobbies, and we had to paste them into the team. And we so sl- we had like to sell attributes. the fact that he did baseball card collecting. <laughs> <laughs> and you, so you came up with these hobbies about five minutes before we started, right? I, go- like- I. I randomly generated hobbies again. Like I yeah, went to like yeah. a random attribute so generator. Fever was entirely randomly generated. Yes, just, every attribute of him, I went to just various websites to let you randomly generate things and generated him and like how many I random number generated to find how many tries he scored, <laughs> which thankfully was only one. But then how many what minute was scored on in seventy eighth minute? So everything about him was just randomly generated An entirely online. Randomly generated person. I think we might have randomly generated what position he played by pick, randomly picking a number between one and fifteen. Yeah. There was, of course, also at one point while we were recording, I asked you what he looks like, and at that point, I entered into my phone random face generator and held up a, a face to the camera <laughs> yes. for you to look at and to describe. So that was that was how we found out what he looks like. The other one that should have been the dead giveaway was oh, France brought off the bench a player called Jean Jamiroquois Lahanga. Yeah, no, nobody wrote in about that one. Like people wrote in about Sandy Lomba and so on. So funnily enough, there was the week before the, this episode went live, I spoke to Lee Calvert of Blood and Mud, mm. and I told him specifically about that player, and he said, "Yeah, no one's going to believe that." <laughs> And somehow, somehow, we got away with it. And for the record, if you did, like, we absolutely love it. Like, this isn't us taking the piss out of you. This is this is you getting no, thank the joke. You. Yeah. And this was, we had to be very careful. We, we wanted it to be believable enough. I didn't want to go completely overboard yeah. and to be very obvious. I wanted it to be the odd suspicion. Um, we wanted that to be, like, the being... one point where somebody might clock, you know? Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted it to be a kind of, like, you might have suspicions, but you wouldn't go overboard. Mm. Like, I say something at the start, like a completely unbelievable game or something yes. you can hardly believe happened. Just because I thought it was very, very silly and very funny. The USA team we were a bit more bit more conservative with. So we had Ray Nelson at fullback, obviously. Mike Purcell, Kevin Higgins, Tommy Vinnick all actually went to this World Cup mm-hmm. with the USA. But then on the other wing, we had Sandy Lomb. Who was a semi-pro skateboarder. Yes. And Sandy Lomb, I'm sorry to say... Is not a real player. No. But the he thing is, is not a real man. I feel like I know him inside out. Yeah. I think this came from... We did this just after I'd had COVID and spent the entire thing playing hmm. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And I think that's probably why it was in my head. That now makes sense. That does make and sense. And I was trying to... I think I tried to make him on the character creator in <laughs> Tony Hawk. <laughs> Good old Sandy Lomb. Bill Shifflett and Joe Clarkson, and the halfbacks also exist. But no, it's important... So Bill Shifflett, who we've got playing scrum off, was actually a second row who played for USA throughout this tournament. Oh, was he? And for the purpose of this, we said he was a scrum off. And one of the tries, we said that one of the French players just ran into little Shifflett and drove him over. Even <laughs> though he's the tallest man in the USA squad. That's quite funny. Rick Bailey, also real. John Everett. He was real. He was real. Neil Brendan, I think he's real. Yeah, I think so. Kevin Swords is real, Ed Burling... Okay, this is far less fun. But in the back row we had Austin Owens, did we not? Who is actually Cardi B's producer. 
<laughs> okay, right, okay. We have on the bench David Prime as well. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the origin story for him. The real key to selling comedy names as being real is taking the piss out of them as you would if they were real names. Yes. Which is so exactly David, there is not a real man that played for the USA called David Prime. But of course we had to sell it. We had to sell it yeah, by we... saying, what a stupid name. Lol, is that Optimus' brother? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Really, really funny oh, by us riffing on, that, well. riffing on that name we made up ourselves. The saddest thing of all is that Professor Bill Reynolds is not indeed real. The Cambridge professor who refereed that game, yes, is somebody that we made up. He was, an he was extra your invention. educating Rita. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now you know that that was made up by Robbie Owen, Squid Rugby. You now, like, how did you not know that in the first place? You know. Yeah, I have it. Clearly, this is in our notes that we both referred to throughout the game because we didn't have actual notes referred to. No. We had to look at individual, like, joint notes. I have it listed clearly. The commentators bring this up three times. That he's an extra and educating reader. John Jamirakai Hangar in canon scored six tries on debut against Czechoslovakia <laughs> in 1985 and has not been in the squad since, but is a real fan favourite in Toulouse. His surname literally translates as the shed. Yes! So that was, that's a good point, actually. So we split it up. So you thought of the his first name and I thought yes. of his surname. So I translated the shed into French. And then you said, right, okay, I've got a first name. I was like, wow, how silly can this be? You said, yeah, Jean Jamiroquois. And I was like, oh, shit. People are going to get this. The I think the, the final thing to talk about about that game, the important thing for me, is that we had agreed very vaguely, that there would be an extremely violent incident at some point in the second yes. half. And I was like, okay, we can go along with that. We've got a bit of time to think on it and so on. But we did it very deliberately. We didn't plan it, that it would be a kind mm. of on-the-spot thing. And then there was a point where I sort of said, right, okay, now we're we'll getting to it. We're getting to the very violent incident. Then he said, yes, I think you should describe that for <laughs> us. And I had to make something up on the spot. And I can't remember what I said, but you dropped me, you dropped me right in it there. And you know what? As shithouse moves on this podcast go, that is one of the best that we've ever done. So fair play to you. Fair play to you. I'm quite proud of the made-up quote that Ed Birmingham said in the post-match team talk. <laughs> my team <laughs> is my bond. <laughs> Which means nothing that sounds like the sort of thing a captain would say in rugby also, union. Also, by the way, there was a point. I've never never mm. discussed this with you. Okay. During that game, there was a point where you discussed like the adverts at half-time. Did you make them up? Yeah, probably. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I yeah, wasn't I sure if it was that, based yeah. on something else, but yeah. No. <laughs> just just some, you know, some extra work that you did. But yeah, that's, that's the game we made up. And that mm. was, as far as I'm concerned, a sheer privilege. I'm aware that about 10 minutes ago, you asked me a question of how this compares to 2011. Yes. For my mind, compared to 2011, <laughs> it was not very good. But no, it was and it wasn't because 2011... We, we've discussed this probably a few times on the pod, but 2011 was something we had a, a, a really intense nostalgia for that we both loved. And we loved mm. going back and analysing the game and seeing how it compared to how we remember and also how yes. the game has changed compared to now. And I think that was kind of like what we achieved on the 2011 series. Whereas this was just absolutely batshit crazy. We took none of the games seriously after we'd watched one. And the whole thing was completely novelty. And from that perspective, it has been a sheer pleasure looking at this World Cup. That's it. I think the 2011 World Cup was far more enjoyable to go back and watch again. Mm-hmm. right? And I think that is 
something we'd agree unanimously and anyone that went and did the same task would enjoy 2011 more than 1987. But I think watching 1987's entire World Cup back, seeing the first World Cup in full, seeing this kind of 80s rugby and seeing so many of the kind of legends you grew up hearing about but have never actually seen playful matches, uh, only kind of odd highlight reels, has changed and enriched how I approach rugby more than mm. watching 2011 again did. I would agree with that. I'd agree with that. Because you can see the progression of like certain tactics and styles of play yeah. and so on. And we've spoken a lot about, for example, Michael Liner is a name in my head. Mm. who's somebody that the first time I saw him play, I was like, oh, what, he's shit. All of these legendary players, shit. And then as the tournament went on, I was like, oh, wait, no, no, no. He is actually he was world class and yeah. would still be a very good player today. And you eventually kind of acclimatise to what counted as good back then. But somebody mm. like Michael Liner, it's great to be able to see literally the moment that t- kicking tactics became more advanced, like as it was happening. Mm. You saw that, like humans learning that this is the optimum way of playing rugby whether it's throwing a certain pass making a certain kick carrying a ball doing a certain technique whatever like it was great kind of watching that unfold in front of our eyes yeah absolutely like i think we saw an awful lot of rugby evolving Mm. and it's a shame there aren't world cups before that we can go back and look at because it feels like quite a pivotal moment as things are starting to swing towards the more professional aspects. For sure, for sure. And it feels like, even more so, I think, than 95, where the game is basically professional, even though it's technically the last amateur World Cup. Yeah. This feels like the, the kind of moment is starting to turn. This feels like a real swing from this stuff. Like, I have watched the old games of the 70s Wales and that 70s Barbars game against the All Blacks. Yeah. You know, I've seen games from that era back. I hadn't really watched an 80s rugby back in full, in full matches before this. Partly because Wales was shit, so there's not kind of the same draw. They're not on, like, like BBC Wales used to put a classic game on the day before every Six Nations match, like of a corresponding fixture there. So, like, the day before Wales played Scotland, they played, like, Wales-Scotland from 1974 or something. Yeah. And stuff like that was always a lot of fun. But because there aren't really those moments for Wales in the 80s, I guess I saw less of it growing up. Mm. So this has been a really interesting kind of filling in a, a blind spot. And the game has evolved to a place where there are tactics and there are things going on and teams have very separate strategies. Like this Japan team in this World Cup play incredibly differently to the Romania team yeah. or to the Australia team or to the New Zealand, who play very differently to the New Zealand team and the Fiji team. And like you're starting to see that real like style come through. Yeah. In a way, if you went back to like the 1920s, that was far less evident. Mm. And by the 1970s, it is entirely what the teams are. Right, like the teams are entirely based around their kind of character by the sixties and seventies, um, and then when you get into the eighties here, there's the starting of a convergence that starts to happen again. Like by the the millennium, by the kind of turn of the millennium, we hit a point in which all teams are starting to play quite similarly. That's kind of the thing. On a theme that we're starting to leave again now. Like we've, yes. we've hit that point again about 2019 and we're starting to leave it again now, which I think is really interesting. This is the most defined individual countries, kind of identities and styles of play ever are. Mm. Well, we'll see come kind of 95 and so on. But as far as I can tell, because this mm. is before rugby was extremely globalised and professionalised and so on, and everybody's tactics will have started crossing over. And in a way, there is a way you can look at teams from nowadays or probably less so nowadays, more sort of five years ago, and you can say, oh, all teams play the same because there is the there is an accepted it. norm of how rugby is played. Whereas that was kind of less the case at this point. And I find that fascinating. 
If you look at nowadays, right, all teams defend in basically one of two, maybe three ways. Yes. There's maybe there's maybe three ways that international teams defend, and everyone picks one of those. Mm. And I'm fascinated by what Jamie Joseph and John Mitchell are doing in Japan. Certainly. Because their idea is to try and come up with a fourth, try and come up with basically yeah. a new way of defending, which I'm really fascinated by and yeah. I want to see more of. And I'm trying to watch these like A games as attentively as I can, you know, to try and pick up on that. But yeah, every team can defend in one of three ways. And you, you we hit a point a few years ago where every team was basically running a one three three one, And then we started to see the odd team, New Zealand's and so on, running 2-4-2. Yes. And playing off 10 slightly Argentina more as well. places. Yeah. Yeah. But it basically became like, are you the difference between teams was, are you running a one three three one off 9 or off 10? Yes. That was kind of like a lot of the change. And then how often you are you box kicking or kicking off 10? Are you kind of, you know, like kicking became the main differential between teams. Agreed. Whereas I think we're now hitting a point where more and more teams are starting to vary their structures. And so we've got like, Ireland have done a thing in the last year where they've moved, they've traditionally played, or under Andy Farrell, they've played a 1-3-2-2, which is the structure Japan pioneered in the last World Cup. Australia have also adopted it, Wales have also adopted it, a lot of teams have also adopted it since. It's become almost probably the most popular. Mm. But Ireland have kind of moved away to being in like a 2-1-3-1. Like yeah, two. Ireland like and South Africa, completely. Ireland and South Africa both as well have played 3-3-3. With the inside centre yeah. as the, th- the ninth oh, forward. South Africa in particular. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, South Africa, you know, Damian Dayalande is effe- effectively a fourth back row forward. But yeah, yeah. They, they play typically 3-3-3 with a ninth forward in there, which means they're playing a different kind of rugby because they've got a different formation. They've got different positions, yeah. you know. Technically, it's still the same because he still stands second from closest to the scrum. Mm. But So that's the inside centre and he wears 12 ones back. But still... But England and the All Blacks are moving away from the formation mm. system like England and the All Blacks are moving away from that some te- like Ireland are leaning into it even harder than ever yep. they are like the most aggressive running a, a one three two two, but kind of as I said they're kind of varying how they're positioned far more and they're kind of finding new tweaks on it France have also kind of France use it as a a kind of web, but France are quite happy to break it at individual moments, mm. which I think is interesting. Like France don't stick to it a hundred percent of the time, even though they very much do have the set structure. Yeah, and I think we're starting to see this like really start to vary. And by next year's World Cup, but also the World Cup after, we'll start to see more and more. And I think we're seeing the same thing actually in women's rugby as well. Like there has all that has already happened in women's rugby. Like every team basically plays incredibly differently, and a level of that is because everyone's trying to catch up with the Red Roses and they're all trying to do it in a different way because the Red Roses just play the best rugby of anyone. Yeah. But it's a part of that is also forced by the fact that there are far fewer nines who are quality box kickers. You're kind of we were talking about this conversation the other day. We were. There were kind of like six or seven who are like real top international quality box kickers. Yeah, and a lot of them are like incredibly skillful passers, runners, everything else. But in terms of the ability to get height on a kick, it isn't quite there. No, which has actually led to the game being very different, building very differently. We said about this the other day, but in the women's game, France are basically the only team who go quite specifically for, and not always, but for like a kick pressure kind of game and like kick yeah. to con- compete rather than for length. And that's kind of the gap in the market. So in the women's game, it'll be interesting to see that evolve. In terms of the men's game, presumably at some point we'll stumble upon a World Cup where there was one team doing it more than others, probably 2003 England. But yeah. it's interesting to see that that's, that's a trend that will go in and out of rugby. Yeah. And I don't know, t- time will tell both in terms of the the linear time we live in for the women's game and in terms of like when we go through this podcast seeing where in the the men's team and and you know when we eventually hopefully get to women's world cups as well Mm. kind of how stars of play change in certain areas of the game 
Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you should say time is linear in the women's game, like they're not playing the 2021 World Cup in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. So, I think we'll kind of continue this as we go on. Yeah. But I do want us to move on to our games of the tournament so far. Okay. Because I think this has been... It's interesting, because I think the general standard of games has been lower than 2011. And I think there probably is less competition for, like, the... If you wouldn't have a top five games of the tournament, right? Yeah. I think numbers three through five on 1987 would be not that great. No. But the top few, I think, are still very, very strong. I would agree. Like The very best games are still very strong, but the games below that, there is quite a drop-off in a way. 2011, kind of, the overall standard was far higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we start with our, each of our number threes, then? Okay. 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 Because... For... I wonder if you've got the same list. I think it's, I th- possible, it's that... possible. I think it's possible number three is the only one that's different th- between us. I think that's very, very likely. Number three, I've kind of got... So, first and foremost, in 2011, what we agreed on was number one was Namibia against Fiji, which was from round yes. one of the tournament. And the reason for that was the thing you said about two completely opposing styles of rugby. And also, mm. if you were bored and wanted to be entertained, what match would you put on? You'd put that one on, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. So for this, for number three, I've gone for not necessarily the best game of the tournament, but one that I found really entertaining, which I would happily go back and rewatch for novelty value, if nothing else. And that I is we have got the, same game. the opening game between New Zealand and Italy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no, we haven't. For, no, we for just haven't. pure novelty comedy value, because there was something fantastic when we watched the first game in yeah. 1987, and it was that. And, you know, you had the Dolmio man running backwards and forwards and uh, dropping the ball behind his own try line, all the shit that was going off. Like, the novelty of like, wait, why are they stood like that for the anthems? Why why aren't they stood together? Why you know why are they in a huddle? There was so much going on that you were always distracted, and I loved it. Yeah. Like as a pure entertainment spectacle. Hey, speaking of always distracted, the entire Italian team when the dog got on the pitch. Exactly, exactly. It truly had it all. So I loved that opening game, and as I say, like. I would happily watch that back again at some point. Yeah. Just because, as I said, it wasn't yeah. necessarily the best game, but it taught me exactly what I was in for, for the 87 tournament. And granted, like, not every single game lived up to how batshit that one was. But, yeah, that's my third game of the tournament. That's very interesting. I've gone for a very different game, but my reasoning isn't a million miles away. Okay, okay. It's the game that sticks in my head most, maybe, mm-hmm. other than the, the two higher up. From the pool stage, it's the game that sticks in my head, okay. right? Like, objectively, the draw between France and Scotland might be a better quality game. Like, I think that's a very good uh, game. Yeah, that's that the, was a good that'd game. That'd be my fourth place game, probably. That was a good game. If I had to pick one. But I kind of have no doubt of my third place. Like, it's it's quite settled in. In the, It is a game I hugely enjoyed. It is a game USA I think France. was... <laughs> it's, a, it's a game... <laughs> That's number one, mate. It's a game I really enjoyed. It's a game I got a lot out of. It's a game where I learned a lot. And it's a game where, as you were saying about Namibia-Fiji, where the two teams approached it completely differently. Mm-hmm. And yet the game ended up really evenly matched because they were approaching it in such different styles and attacking each other's weaknesses. Okay. Just two teams that are like... Like we have a frustrating France whenever they play at the minute, mm. right? In modern rugby and oh, England and the Red Roses in France. Sure, yeah. Like two teams that just like... 
one team's strengths match with the other team's weaknesses, and it happens both way around, so the games end up really even. Not that the Red Roses have any weaknesses, which is the problem there. But, so my game is actually the second game of the tournament, Romania 21, Zimbabwe 20. Well, 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 I did consider it, but I, honestly, I I am not joking when I say this. The reason why it was, just, was edged out is because I'm still salty about how it finished. With the guy that I was saying, like, oh, yeah, he's shit. He's dick of the day. He shouldn't be playing. With him scoring an absolute belter of a winning try. Yeah. Like, but I'm that's still it. salty about that. That's why I love it. I love the ridiculous controversy of the guy who should have been sent off four <laughs> times. Ending up somehow scoring a winning try. I'll tell you what. I've not seen a rugby game with so many plot twists. Yeah, exactly. It's just such, it's like Shakespearean yeah. in the kind of backstab tragedy of it. <laughs> That's it. It's got a really horrible scriptwriter that game. Yeah. Which is not something you can say of very many Rugby World Cup games that we've covered on this pod. So that is my third place. I love it. I think that's a great shout. Also, Zimbabwe really taking it to like who was a well-respected rugby nation at this point and should have won. But mm. yeah, seeing Zimbabwe play at a Rugby World Cup for the first time ever, as in our first time ever seeing them play it, was and their first was time a joy. doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And seeing the best Romanian team there's ever been as well. Mm. You know, like they pushed Scotland a bit in this World Cup as well, and they're a bit disappointing against France. But like that was the game where they and Constantine's punch they won and they stood up. And oh, mate, the Constantine brothers are my favourite rugby players. Yeah. However, second place. I wonder if we've. Got, I reckon we've probably got the same top. I two. think. It, I think it's. I can't see a world in which we haven't, frankly. My second place is the Rugby World Cup final of 1987 between France and New Zealand. My second place is the Rugby World Cup final of 1987 between France and New Zealand. I think this is... We've, we touched on this in the previous we episode. Did, yeah, we did three hours on this, so yeah. we can probably keep this quite brief. Yeah, that's true. What, what think... we did on the 2011 final, when we both picked it as our number two, is we gave ourselves 60 seconds to discuss it. So should we do that? Sure. Okay. okay. I think it's the highest intensity game of the tournament. I think it's the one where both teams really, really attack it and bring it in a different way. It's the one game where defending and kicking feels like it really matters yeah. in this tournament, other than Australia, because Australia just kick better than anyone else. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that you're right. The intensity factor is the whole thing. That It was mm. a game where neither of us treated it as a novelty at any point. We were always yeah. like, oh, everything is on the line here. Everybody was playing at their absolute maximum. And you could see that it was the pinnacle for everybody on the field. Um, and I know it's a Rugby World Cup final, so that's kind of a cliche, but everybody did genuinely play at their best, and it was it's... a really high-quality game of rugby. The only game in this tournament where it feels like every moment matters. Yes. Where it feels like every Every decision has an impact. Instead of just feeling like, normally you just got used to knock-ons, like you kind of just got to like, yes. block them out. But in this game, if a team knocked it on, it felt like, oh no, that, like, now that's they've got a territory. major blow. Yeah, and possession yeah. and so on. Yeah. It felt like a huge swing every moment. Every try really felt like you kind of stood up in a yeah. way. Almost every other game in the tournament didn't really didn't really happen. I think it's the second best game of the tournament. Yeah. There we go. That's our 60 seconds on the final. Well played. Hmm. I, th- I think we did that justice. I think so. So, number one. Oh boy, I wonder what game we've picked for number one. Hmm. Obviously. And we're, I'm going to speak on behalf of both of us because I just know yep. that we've yep. both gone for the semi-final. Fiji is not okay. <laughs> the semi-final between France and Australia, which again yes. we did two hours on with Paul Williams. Yeah, just what a game! It's one of the yeah. classic Rugby World Cup encounters, and it really kind of instilled my faith in it a lot because I would hear people refer to that game as like, "Oh, one of the greatest Rugby World Cup games ever." And having watched the start mm. of 1987, I will have gone, "Do you mean that though?" Like, mm. it's not the same, is it? Whereas that game really proved to me that actually, 
say what you want about skill sets and and so on, the intensity of that game and the ability that everyone played to was through the roof. Yeah. There have been moments watching this World Cup back where I've not really understood why people liked or watched rugby. Mm. Like, I've not really got why anyone would choose to tune in on a Friday afternoon. Like, maybe I'd get why someone would want to go and play it. But I don't get why people would get invested and support and turn up to cheer for their teams or whatever. But that game went, oh, this is what it can be. This is what this sport can be and what it can do. And this is what it is at its absolute brightest and finest. It is one of the most thrilling back and forth, evenly matched, completely games that anyone ever played. You look at, I read this out in the episode on it, but half of the players who played in that game referred to it publicly as the best game they ever played. I was just about to bring that up. Philip Seller said that, who is one of the greatest yeah. players to ever play the game. Like Andrew Slack's a bit of a legend, and he said that. And The thing is, they were all correct, as far as I yeah. can tell. Obviously, I've not seen every game they played. I've not seen most of the games they've played. I've not seen many of the games they've played. But you can just see it. You can just see, looking at someone like Philip Seller, like this is a world-class player at the top of his game. And you get that across the park. It's a true, true spectacle. And while we're here, I would like to thank Paul Williams for the episode that we did with him because he was excellent as a guest. And Mm, it it takes somebody to do a really good job to do that game justice. And I think that he did an excellent job on that. It was a pleasure. It's fantastic. Yeah, um, really excited to have him back on for... 2007 mm. which is the plan which is the plan he's up for it we're up for it we're gonna yeah. have him back on yeah but yeah sooner rather than later that was one of the best games we've ever covered on this podcast i'm sure that I think further so. down I think the so. line we'll it's... do kind of a top game so far when we've done a couple more mm. world cups but yeah that's certainly going to be in the conversation for a long long time to come agreed completely agreed i don't know what else you can say well, i do know what else you can say and we covered it in that <laughs> yeah. two hour episode. yeah we've already said it I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And so, I think covering our games of the tournament leads us on to the long run of player and teams at the tournament. So, throughout this whole World Cup, we've nominated the man of the match and dick of the day, as has every guest, at the end of every episode. And I've kept a tally running on every player who gets nominated for either or any, anything else. Like, you know, we've had dogs nominated, we've had bears nominated, we've had stadium announcers nominated, chickens nominated chickens we've had women who would post on websites about the players years <laughs> later nominated we've had people that tripped up chickens nominated all sorts brands police in general you know we've had all sorts all sorts nominated i've been keeping a running tally of every man of the match and dick of the day and we will be shortly running through those but first i think it's time for us to go through our, our each of our respective 
teams of the tournament. Correct. So the way we're going to do this is the same as when we did this for 2011. We're going to go through it by units. So for instance, you would say your back three, then I would say my back three, then you would say your centre, and so on. If we do it like that, do we start front row or full back? Should we start front row just, just to be difficult, just to be awkward? Yeah, all right. All right. Do you want to go first or should I? Sure. Okay. So my front row, I've gone for the two French props, Pascal Lundart and Jean-Pierre Gary Lempois. I like and it. And both of them together, I think they basically dominated every team they came up against, like including the All Blacks, who are safely the best team in the tournament. But at the scrum time, they really struggled. Literally everyone who came up against France struggled. And Pascal Lundart is also a massive shithouse <laughs> who kicked three players in the head in the World Cup final. Yeah. And then when the referee called him up to go, don't do it a fourth time, he went, I'm sorry. If you tackle him, he'll fucking nut you. Like, that's just the way it goes. He was absolutely nails. Like, Jason Leonard, amongst others, referred to him as the hardest player he ever played against. He, like, yeah, won a vote on that and now runs a restaurant in Biarritz. You know, just an absolute legend of the game. And Gary Limpero, who is more quiet than on darts. He's kind mm. of outspoken shithouse, but he's like, he just kind of gets on and loves scrummaging. Sure. And he's clearly just like a massive lad who loves to push people over. And that's what you need. And a hooker, I have Brian Moore, who's one of the players who impressed me most over this tournament. I thought was fantastic, showed, as I said a number of times, he was the model of what a hooker is going to be in 10 years' time. And we saw that kind of evolution happening in real time, with this being his first kind of breakthrough tournament, when we got into the England team as the starter, having played a couple of games in the Six Nations, and keeps that shirt for like a decade plus to come. Yeah, I've also picked Brian Moore at hooker for yeah. exactly the same reasons as you have that you can see a young leader shining through you see the potential in him as a ball handler as well as just yeah. a bastard hooker and the fact that the whole being a bastard thing was what he was best at really speaks volumes of him that he's a hooker who still would have done well 20 years later or whatever hmm. but he really really suited the hooker mold of what he was plunged into in his era he was a fantastic player and still would be brian moore so yeah i completely agree with him at hooker in terms of my other props my props hmm. on the loose head i've gone with topo rodriguez from australia oh yes partially because he was great and partially because he was fun like yes. he was a prop loved his dirty work loved scrummaging loved hitting rucks and so on loved thumping people but very occasionally would find himself in midfield and get bored and just throw a miss pass just because he fancied it and i've just i've got time for him he's like a proper expressive prop so i'm a big fan of topo rodriguez he's come out this tournament well for me and on the tight head i've also gone for jean garlet lampolu just because i think that as far as rugby cup finalists and winners go there's always that it's a cliche, but that cornerstone tight head. And to say that mm. he was the fir- Rugby World Cup's first ever cornerstone tight head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's... France my herb with his day. Exactly, exactly. I think that's a really valuable thing in this World Cup. And I think that he was mm. he was the one who did that best. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to give us your second row then? Do you want to start yes. on the second row? So my second row... So in the four jersey, I have Gary Wetton. Mm-hmm. Speaks for itself. Very, very solid foot in that New Zealand pack. Somehow made a line-out look decent, uh, which is a bizarre concept in this World Cup because line-outs were not really a fair competitive thing. But Gary Wetton was brilliant at that. Worked hard, did a lot of the unflashy stuff around the park. You know, killed a few people with his studs. So yeah, Gary Wetton's my first second row. And the second one that I have in the five jersey is Richard Moriarty. Okay. Led okay. Wales yeah, yeah, superbly. I can see that. I get that. Massive ball carrier was, for me, as as well as John Devereux, was probably Wales' best player. 
Yeah. I think he, he carried brilliantly. He tackled absolutely everything. And I know that he's a massive second row who was Wales captain. But I think he was just superb around the park. He got through a mountain of work in every single game and really led by example. He was the best thing about watching that Wales team. You know what? You've talked me into it. I'm going to change one of mine to Richard Moriarty. Okay. I think you're right. He kind of didn't occur to me. Yeah. So I'm going to take Richard Moriarty. Sorry, Hans de Goody. Oh, no. Just because hey. I really like him and he hey. worked really hard. He was Don't just worry. a really Don't great worry captain. About it. It's okay. It's okay. I respect Moriarty. He's a good player himself, okay? Don't you worry. Don't you worry. He dropped. Hans de Goody drops the bench, but can still give an inspirational team to He him. absolutely can. I just thought Hans de Goody was everything you could want from a tier two captain. Yeah. And he was constantly about. He was there. Like every shot, every time Canada were doing anything, he was there. Whether it was having to handle the ball, whether it was making tackles, whether it was somehow leaping for lineups and narrowly losing them, like whether it was giving inspirational team talks and the voice of Kermit the Frog. Like he was just like archetypal tier two captain. And those performances at the World Cup are one of my favourite things about you're, the tournament. You're spot on. The amount of times that we've requested players to give team talks in the voice of Kermit the Frog, he's the first one who's actually stepped up and done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I should keep Hans Goody on my team. You're cool. Maybe I should stick to my guns. You're cool. Yeah, they can share it. They can share it. They can share it. And do you know what? Do you know what, William? What? Do you know what? I've done it again. Oh, no! Again. You've done it again! I've done it again. You've done my it Everlock. again! My Everlock is Romania Stefan Constantine. <laughs> How do you keep getting away with this? The thing is, you're going to acknowledge now, and for the record, I think this is perfectly legitimate, you're going to acknowledge now that he probably wasn't the best lock in the tournament, but that doesn't mean that he's not a legitimate selection in your team. I don't think this should necessarily be the best players, you know? I think in terms of players that had the biggest impact for their country, I think Stefan Constantine genuinely is in the top three fair play i love that selection i also I think it, he but... is he is some like you there were none of the romania games where you left the pitch going which one was stefan yeah. constantine and look i have you know? i have some similar selections in my team so i yeah. massively respect that selection and look he found his way into your draft team of a yeah. combined world cups like you clearly He's think of him highly an unbelievable shithouse who also was incredibly fast yes like there is very very fast nobody that you want to be chased down a street against less than stefan constantine because he will catch you and he will punch your lights out but in terms of what a second row was in this era right which was basically a guy who jumped at the line out and was a massive shithouse in the rest of the game yeah he was all of that but also if he ended up in any like he was a perfect example of that but he ended up in any number of other situation if he ended up in space if he ended up in the loose he could handle the ball and he could sprint yeah i just think he was the i wouldn't say he's a great second row now like in terms of players you'd want to draft into the modern era there are dozens of second rows i would rather have in a modern team if you're going to kind of scale them up but in terms of what a second row was in 1987 i think stefan constantine is perfect i love it nailed into my team i love it i think that's a brilliant selection i'm so so here for it and I am going to pick him in the team of the year this year. <laughs> I'm just going to keep cramming into every team I have to Richard pick Cramming. Ever. I'm going to put him into the Women's World Cup team of the year. I'm going to put him into every single team. Yeah. He's just going to be there. Stefan Constantine. He always, always finds hiding. a way. Always hiding. One day you need to meet him and shake his hand and thank him for service. No, I'll Oh, wait, I'll no, die. you'll die. Never mind. I retract that statement. Back row. The back okay. row. I think six is the most difficult position to pick. Okay. This is the one where I went back and forth the most. Okay. I think there's a lot of players in contention. I 
very almost picked Miyamoto from Japan. Oh, what a player. What a player. I had him on my team for quite a long time. I just think he was brilliant. He was my favourite player in that Japan team, maybe other than Seiji Harao, the fly half. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I have gone for the full all-black back row. I've gone for Alan Wetton, Michael Jones, and Buck Shelford. It's hard to argue with, isn't it? Yeah, like Finlay Calder as well, like another player who I think should be in contention. I think there's loads of players that could have taken that six Finlay Calder's a brilliant shout, to be honest. Michael Jones was one of the first names on my team sheet because yes. I think he was quite far and away in terms of other sevens in the tournament. Yeah. He successfully did all of the things that other sevens in the tournament tried to do when it came to running those support lines, being kind of the link man and so on. A lot of flankers yeah. tried to do it, but didn't quite know how, whereas Michael Jones just seamlessly came in and did all of that work perfectly. So he's nailed on the seven jersey for me. Yeah, absolutely. Number six. It's interesting that you say there's a lot of competition because far and away, the best flanker in the tournament is Alan Wetton. He scores in every game apart from the final. He carries superbly. He hits absolutely everything. Like, he has a truly outstanding performance. I think he's... Spoiler alert, one of the I best players in the tournament. I think it's more, there are so many outstanding players. Yeah, yeah. I and I like your shout like, out. There Miyamoto are lots of players. Calder and so on. Yeah. Rakaroy from Fiji. Yeah, Rakaroy, he's great. Dev, captain. Yeah. I thought he was great. Like, I, I wanted to think about him. Uh, Mauricio Anasente, who is more of a seven, but also played six. Mm-hmm. I really want to pick him. He was Italy's captain. Now they're the head of their union. And he's fantastic. I think just that position has, there are the most... Eric Schomp, who was my man of the match in the final. Of course, I think there are more really good sixers in this tournament than any other position, which is why I think it was a big... But I, obviously, I put Alan Wetton in my team. Like he's, well, I didn't shy away from it. Alan Wetton is, you know, as I say, deserved. for me, he's by far the best six in the tournament. But it's not going to stop me from picking Neville Cloppers in the six jersey. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, of course. Of course I've got Neville Cloppers in the six jersey. Isn't... Did he actually get on? <laughs> yeah, he played one... He's got one gap. I love Neville Cloppers. I his, hate you. His name's Neville Cloppers. No, you can put down Alan Wetton. That's fine. Put down Alan Wetton. Cloppers can sit on the bench. At number eight, I've gone for a wild card. Objectively, you are correct that Buck Shelford was the best eight in the tournament and he was outstanding all time. As was Laurent Rodriguez for France. He was also outstanding. Mm. But for very similar logic to what you've said for Constantine of somebody who made a huge impact for their nation. I've gone with Mark Neal from Zimbabwe, okay. who yeah, was yeah. massive. I, I like that. I get that. Yeah. Scored a try or two, always made metres when he carried, and just looked like a proper number eight. And look, he played amateur rugby, granted at international level, and I guarantee no matter what kind of amateur rugby pack you drop him into, he will always be a good player no matter how much the game changes. Yeah. Because... He can carry for yards and yards and yards and was a really good leader as well. So I think you're spot on. I like Mark I think it's a really good shout. Yeah, it's a really, really good suggestion. Mm. Do you want to pick your halfbacks? Yes. Well, before I do that, there's a position we've missed off. Super number eight. Super number eight. The bear from the revenant. So super, super number eight, I've picked the bear from the revenant. Yes. yes AKA Glenn adding Evans. to my team. Super number eight. Yep. The bear from because the for anybody who may have forgotten, the, Canada would go for a 10-man scrum every now and then, which was allowed back then. And the bear from the Revenant, Glenn Ennis, who actually did play the bear in the Revenant, would be the man at the back, the super number eight. For more, listen to our back catalogue. Yes. But yes, halfbacks. Halfbacks. So halfbacks. at number nine, I've put in Pierre Bebezier. Okay. He was the player for France who 
during their first games of the tournament when they were already playing very well, he stood out to me as like, oh, he's really consistent. He doesn't make many mistakes. And he often he often makes breaks. He kicks well. I think he was the most solid scrum off in this tournament by a stretch. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. I've picked Nick Far Jones for the exact same reasons. But it's also Nick Far Jones is is further amplified by how bad Brian Smith is when he comes in. Yeah, for him. the thing is, I had Nick Far Jones. So I've been working on this team by the way all the way through this tournament. Right. Okay. Like as time's gone on, because I found it so difficult to kind of remember who played well, I've kind of had to mm-hmm. throw people in. And Nick Ford Jones, the first time I saw him, we gave him man of the match because he was so, so solid. And yeah. he barely played after that, which was really baffling to me. He because... played really well in the quarter and semi-final and then comes off the bench whilst mm. injured in the third place match and is one of Australia's yeah. best players. Brian Smith is dog shit. Yeah. In this tournament. Look, Mick Farr Jones is fantastic. I did have him on the bench and then I remembered about somebody else. But yeah, Pierre Babesier and also was outstanding in the final. Mm. So he's my nine. And at ten, it would be wrong if I gave it to anybody other than Grant Fox. Okay. Ten okay. Oh, is I'm... the position where there's probably the, the biggest crowd of players. You know, you've got Michael Liner is somebody we always come back to. Gareth Reese is somebody who was outstanding throughout Canada's games, who yeah. I've literally got that written down in the 22 jersey, Gareth Reese slash Michael Liner, because it's so hard to pick between the two of them. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it probably is Liner because he did his things in bigger games than Reese, but then again, Reese did play for Canada, so there's this is interesting, a lot of angles to it. But Fox so... was a world-class game manager from start to finish, and such a great player. I had a real like tied two horse race mm-hmm. for the number 10 jersey like i think it's a very different most competitive jersey to six because six just had lots of contenders but there's an obvious clear front runner yeah this one i think there are two players who are so far ahead of the pack in michael liner and grant fox mm. and i think it's those two by a by like such a margin and then i had to have seiji haral as my favorite oh choice. yes haral because i love him i love him gareth reese was great brilliant. though Gareth Reese is very good but seiji haral would be my pick we're picking for the team i love that by the way S- seiji haral your boy He's my boy. He's my guy. He's my guy. I crowned him into a video. Look, you would, you, yeah, you like, did, and you adopted him after having watched him for about a half. You know, yeah, and you were like, he's oh yeah, like, he's, he's the sort of player I love, and I've got yeah. a, I've always got time for when you have that player in a rugby yeah. World cup, and I will have had that I'm in twenty eleven. Finally, yeah. I found him. I found Seiji Hirao. Yeah. I found Mister Rugby. Mister Rugby. And but I, I plumped for Michael Liner, and I'm quite glad we've gone for the other one. Mm. You went for Fox, and I went for Liner. But I think Michael Liner has the best kicking game of any player in this tournament no doubt and that is what keeps the wallabies in it an awful lot yeah. i know obviously under a lot of pressure at home for playing too much like a northern hemisphere team as they felt and kicking too much and that led to them kind of scaling it back in the semi-final mm-hmm. and i wonder if they hadn't i wonder if they had just stuck to the kicking game they were playing if they could have made that final mm. they probably wouldn't have beaten the all blacks but they could have given them a game still. yeah it's a really interesting point i 100 percent agree he is the best kicker in this tournament uh, he's the yeah. smartest kicker in this tournament i should say yeah and I think him and Grant Fox are quite similar in terms of the attacking play. Fox has an edge there, but I think Liner's edge in the kicking the game is for, like, I think the things in which Liner is better, he is better at than Fox is better in the things that Fox is better Interesting. at. There's, which is why I went for that. There's a but percent also, in it I either way, isn't there? Exactly. It is. It's like a 1% swing, and I can't. I found it really hard to decide. Mm. And if you asked me tomorrow, I'd probably say Grant Fox. Yeah. Like it's, I can't really decide between sure. them, but it's Michael Liner's who I, I love that selection, down, but it could be Grant yeah. Fox. Liner was absolutely world-class and there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Do you want to pick your centers then? Yes. So I've cheated slightly and put Philippe Seller at 12. Okay. That, that, that's fair enough. We'll let that slide. Yeah. He kind of could have. I there, considered that. 
And at 13, I think there's an awful lot of contenders at 13. I think there's far more contenders at 13 than 12. I have an interesting thought for you got written down, because he's on my sheet. So, I very, very, very... Like, I initially wrote him down, and I kind of changed my mind. I was like, oh, I don't... I very almost picked Diego Castro-Silva. Oh, okay. Of Argentina. Really almost picked him. And there's a... Yeah, there's a bunch of players that I think I easily could have... There's a player I'm I'm certain you're about to say. Alan Tate of Scotland. Oh, I think has he's not my pick, okay. but I think he is brilliant. Comes in, wins his first cap Great in the tournament. I forgot about that, and is outstanding. Yeah, I think he has to be in the conversation. Arguably, me. Scotland's best player. I think. He's I think yeah, spot on. I, think I completely forgot about Tate. Great shout. I think Richard Simber of Zimbabwe is right up there for me. He doesn't I play very much, but he's clearly him. a world class player. That's the thing. That's the thing. I think if he played all the Zimbabwe's games, I might have put him. I think he would have walked in if he played all the Zimbabwe's games. If he played eighty minutes yeah. each game, but that's he true. was. No doubt a world-class talent. Yeah, I think he's he's phenomenal. And, you know, I think there's there's a lot of lot of very solid contenders. Kevin Higgins of the USA. That was the player I thought I you were going to say. I think he's great, and I loved him. I thought he was brilliant. But my 13, I think, in the end, I went for, until you mentioned Moriarty, the only Welsh player within a million miles of this team. And seeing as they came third, I thought he was by such a distance worth the best player in the tournament. Over the Moriarty until you mentioned it, but I still think he is worth the best player by mm. a clear margin. John Devereaux at 13. Smart selection. It's a smart selection. It's yeah. not who I thought you were going to go for, and it's not who I've written down. But I think you're right that the only reason... He's the reason why Wales did anything good in the backs in this tournament. Him yes. and Bledon Bowen were both very good, I'd say. Bledon Bowen's entire job was to clean up Jiffy's nonsense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then Devereaux could actually shine for himself. And the amount yeah. of times he was given either bad ball, who was on the back foot or whatever, and he would make something brilliant out of it. Devereaux was yeah. a, a joy to watch in this. Yeah, really, really great player, great selection. And yourself? In the centres, I've gone for Fabio and Timothy the Dogs. <laughs> oh, 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 you've left out Philippe Seller. yeah. Look, he didn't have the same impact. Timothy's a World Cup winner, mate. He played for the All Blacks in the 87 tournament. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You picked Timothy the dog as a fullback in the draft. Yeah, we've spoken about this. We've spoken about this. That Timothy is a 13 who can play fullback. I am, I'm going to force you to only pick him in one of those two positions. You can't have him in different positions for those two. You can't screw me up having Timothy the dog in the draft and then just put him in a different You've position. You've picked Philip Seller at 12. Yeah. You think dog? <laughs> you saying that like it's a slam dunk? Like you haven't picked two dogs? Yeah, of course I've picked two dogs. As I say, like people can judge on the draft whether the fact I've got a player playing out of position weakens my team. That's that's the people's decision. Okay. okay. Whereas here I've got him playing in, in his position. If I'm forced to pick two humans, okay, then I would pick hypothetically Brett Papworth and Philip Seller. Okay, Pap Daddy. Pap okay. Daddy, yeah, he, he was fantastic. Yeah, he had a lot of very good games throughout this tournament and then got murdered in his final game of Rugby Union. But yeah, I, I grew to like Pap Daddy a lot. But Yeah, I get that. I Philip that. Seller, obviously speaks for himself, was world-class throughout the tournament, particularly in that semi-final. But shame he wasn't quite as good as Timothy the Dog. And also Fabio and Timothy make a great centre combo. Absolutely. And then finally, a back freeze... I think we'll definitely have one player in common. Yeah, I think we will. So on one, one wing, I've got John Kerwin. I also have John Kerwin on, on the yep. right wing. Yeah. I have on the other wing, Didier Camaberabero. Oh, great shout. Great shout. Great kicker as well. Finished a lot of yep. tries, set a world record for points scored in a game. Yeah. Brilliant shout. 
you see, there was, there was a few players that I looked at and thought like, oh, this is this is quite difficult. And then I looked down at my team sheet and realised that Eric Barrett had picked himself. <laughs> of course he did, the balding bastard. That like 50-something-year-old man who claimed to be 36. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Zimbabwean. So Eric Barrett, annoyingly, he's so far from the best player in, in the eleven shirt or tournament. It, but he's on yeah, my team sheet because so... he, he stole it from me and put himself on there. So really far from the best left winger in Zimbabwe. Yeah. <laughs> yes, somehow. But he's, he's picked himself on the left wing and I'm really, really annoyed about it. Because That's really frustrating. It means David Campesi has to sit on the bench. Really pissed me off that ass. Would it have been Campesi if you had to select it? He scored fucking loads of tries. Yeah, I, I've got him at fullback. Oh, I've got okay. David Campesi at fullback. At fullback, I've got Severo Corondua-Dua, a.k.a. Superboot. Yeah, I should have picked Superboot. Yeah. I... Well, if you don't think of him that highly, mate, then I could have him on the draft. You could always put him up for sale. Yeah, I kind of felt like I have to pick Superboot. But then I, I was I'll really give you a tenner torn... if you give me Superboot. I kind of was going to pick Superboot, and I went through some other contenders, and I realised David Campesi was one of them, and I kind of had to put my team. It's fair enough. Also, like I've left Gavin Hastings out altogether. Yeah. Oh, the amount of quality players we are leaving out is very, mm. very strong. Uh, Ian Paxton, we haven't mentioned. I thought he oh, was very God, strong. Oh God, yeah, great, very player. good. But there's a, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them, mm. and we will get onto them as we go through the man of the match and dig of the day. Team. Yes. We'll very quickly run through our benches. So I have. Oh, I haven't picked a bench. Oh, okay. I'll pick. I'll, I'll run through my bench then. Okay. Bench I picked. So sixteen to Yoshi Fujita from Japan. A.K.A. Shota Horie Senior. 17, I've written Steve McDowell, probably. <laughs> 18, Gareth Chilcott. 19, Alan Lorilleur. 20, Katsufumi Miyamoto. 21, David Kirk. 22, Michael Liner. 23, David Campisi. Brilliant. Okay. 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 I now think we move on to the most prestigious category. The Mazda try of the tournament. <laughs> where anyone who wins these, our two votes, will receive a dream tomorrow night where they will drive a Mazda. Yeah. Unfortunately, Squidge Rugby is not formally going to fund a Mazda for these people. Yeah, we're not going to... Reach, reach out to wherever they are living. But you're right, they will have a dream that whichever of us gives them the vote, gives them a Mazda. And if we both give the same vote to the same player, they're going to dream of two Mazdas. So I found this quite a difficult one to pick from because there's a lot of really good tries, but a lot of them are quite similar. And so you kind of find yourself going in circles. And sometimes you find yourself going over and over and over and looking at all of the kind of assorted tries that you could pick from and, you know, running through them. And there is a quite good YouTube compilation of best tries from the tournament. And, like, I do want to shout out Stefan Constantine's winning try against Zimbabwe. And I do want to shout out that one try where they do hands along the line and then the winger somehow takes the guy on the outside because they're stood 50 metres in from the touchline yeah. and then scores in the corner. You know that one? Yeah, yeah, I know that one. I do want to call that great, left like, there's, <laughs> there's a few tries on that compilation where you look at it and go like, oh, what a try. You realise it's literally just a well-executed hands down the line. Yeah. Like, I want to mention Serge Blanco's winning try in the semi-final. Yeah. But, like, is it that good? Don't know. It's just a big moment. It's just it? mental. Sometimes those ones it's just mental, the... yeah. Richard Simba against Romania. Mm-hmm. Four. That's a very good like one. Have you like a top three or just a top no. one? Okay. I just, so just came up with some rough contenders. Yes. Yeah. So there's a bunch of them. Lajisque's try against Australia in the semi-final. That was dead good, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I'm literally trying to go off the top of my head what else I remember because I did not write down a list of other contenders. Mike Harrison scores a bunch of tries. Mike Harrison on the Wakefield. 
score some tries. But ultimately, right, here's the thing. I've been walking around it. I John Kerwin is going to dream of a Mazda that he already owns because it kind of has to be the John Kerwin try against Italy assisted yeah, yeah. by Fabio the dog. Yes. Like a dog... I want to give it very much, like, I want to make it very obvious that Fabio the dog also gets, like, a ride in the Mazda. Yeah. Because he gets the assist. Yeah. He gets a driving license. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing that I wouldn't pass that, pass that guy. Anything more you want to say about John Kerwin's try against the All Blacks? It's just really good, isn't it? It's like the most famous try from this tournament, of good reason. And, like, you can go around it and try and find hip strands, but like, the best try of the tournament is John Kerwin's solo try fair against enough. Italy. Fair like, enough. it just is. It just is. Yeah, fair enough. Sometimes you have to give Richie McCall your player of the tournament, you know? By the way, do we know anything about John Kerwin and his Mazda? Are there any, like, stories that have come from that? That's a really good question. I'll tell you what. John Kerwin went on to really have, like, a fruitful career with Mazda. All right. Because he went on to, like, do some, like, ads and spokesperson work for them what? as well along the side. Because he ran 90 so, metres that one time. Because he ran me- dog. 90 metres that one time. And they were like, here you are, have a car. Did they give Fabio work as well? They should They'd have. better really have done. So. Or maybe he just turned up to one Mazda Awards ceremony. I don't know. But anyway, he's he's had some sort of involvement with them since. So, good on him. Fair play. Good on John Kerwin. I'm glad that there's a little bit of a story that comes out of John Kerwin and his Mazda, because if we never heard of that again, then what's the point? Before I run through my tries of the tournament, I want to say I'm very grateful for the fact that there were only two penalty tries all tournament. Granted, one of them was the first try of the whole World Cup, which is dumb, but Mm. Mr. P try only got involved twice, and I'm grateful that he has kept me quiet, because I like rugby. So, my honourable mentions... My third favourite try of the tournament is Richard Simba against Romania. A great break and a fantastic finish by him, including the dive, which was completely unnecessary and potentially entered his World Cup. In second place, I have John Kerwin scoring a try against Italy. So I've not given it to him because, frankly, it gets a lot of plaudits and I want to go for a hipster selection. And also, he's got his Mazda and the tackling on him was shit. Yeah. I would have said dog shit, but there was a dog on the field literally a minute ago. So, you know, Fabio's involvement was my favourite part of that try, though. (laughs) And discovering that for the first time was a truly magical moment. So my try of the tournament, an extreme hipster selection, is Juan Lanza against the All Blacks. No. No. Yep. No, I will not take Juan Lanza in a positive sense. This podcast is over. We're not doing this anymore. You're not. It was a walk-in. Okay. No, like. that was a... It was but a... Yeah. It was mental. Granted, part of the reason why I've given it is because of good attacking play by the opposition. But it was the craziest passage of play in the whole tournament, mm. which ended up with Hugo Porter sticking on his right boot and doing this beautiful cross-chip to Lanza, yeah. who then collected it and ran in under the sticks. Like, it was just a beautiful try to watch. So, given... Look, if we were giving out an actual Mazda then John Kerwin would obviously be the winner. Okay. But I want Juan Lanza to dream of a Mazda tomorrow. Okay. Okay, I hope he does. And I hope Pedro Lanza has the same dream. Yes. Same player. So, the runner-up for the Mazda in the official tournament was Glenn Webb's try against Tonga. Oh, wow. Which he didn't remember. Which I think is a very good try. No, he doesn't remember it, but he almost won a Mazda for it. Fair play. It would have been bullshit if he did, to be honest. Famously not in the conversation was Mark Ring's Mazda move. Yeah. <laughs> which did not result in a try. That's what you get. But mentioning Glenn Webb, right? Glenn Webb is one of a very small handful of players in this tournament to get unanimous man of the match vote. Ah, okay. Came out of this with two man of the match votes, which put him in real contention 
for the Man of the Match team of the tournament and also boosted Wales at the leaderboard of most Man of the Match votes. Interesting. And the really interesting thing here is, right, when we looked at the 2011 tournament, the number one country for Man of the Matches was Australia, Mm -hmm. who finished third in the tournament, then New Zealand, and then a draw between Ireland and France. Okay. So... And where was actually a four-way draw there. So, like, it was a far busier competition. Mm-hmm. Wait a second. No, 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 I've missed that. I completely glaze over that. England were joint second with the All Blacks. Oh, right. That's bullshit. Anyway, right, in 2011, the table of the best players that we voted for did not necessarily reflect the best teams in the tournament. Yes. In here, it really has. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's, so, it's shocking hearing you say that Wales got a lot of nominations because they played a lot of the worst games. Like, Wales so, Ireland was the worst game of the tournament, you know? Like So, the man of the match votes, the table, the leaderboard, directly lists, in order, the, co- the order the countries were knocked out. No! So, New Zealand and France are actually tied in first place with 12 votes each. That's mental! Okay. Wales are then third with nine. Australia fourth with eight. Then we have Scotland with six. We have Fiji with five. We have I suppose Italy actually are a bit higher up the table than mm-hmm. they should be. Still though. So yeah, if you swap Italy and Ireland round, we have the quarterfinals and then the next. Have we just ball. been more reluctant to give losing teams man of the match? Or I think so. I think so. I think we've kind of, but I think a level of it is generally the losing team has not had many standout players. Yeah. Or there's more pressure on individual skills, and if somebody yeah, plays well, yeah. they're more likely to help their team win the game. Which sounds. Daft, I, think, I think that's actually but, true. I think yeah. that's very true. I think that's something that's very much been the case in this tournament mm. is that, you know, that old adage of like, oh, forwards win games back to decide by how much. Yeah. I feel like it's less true in this tournament. Yeah, than ever. I know what you mean. I know what you like, mean. Like, once they've won the ball, the forwards aren't really contributing. Yes. And line outs a are a lottery. Way. Yeah. Like, line outs are a lottery. Like, any team could win any line out at any mm. given point. Which means that only really at scrum time are forwards doing anything. Like, the breakdown is not a big deal for forwards. Yeah. And the, yeah, line-out is a very different deal. Which means that two-thirds of possession is not coming through the forwards. And the game is so much being input about how much they're decided by. It's so much about, like, individual moments of skill mm-hmm. here in a way that now it's about, like, being smarter and working stuff yes. out. There's far more, like, tactics involved. But those moments are still do, still do matter and they're still there. Yeah. I think it's, I think that is a direct reflection that there's far more backs nominated than forwards, mm-hmm. whereas the way around last time. Like, the majority of players nominated Doesn't surprise backs, me. Doesn't surprise whereas me. Whereas, complete opposite last time. Like, we had far more backs, far more forwards. It might just be that, obviously, we understand modern rugby a lot better, so we understand what the backs are doing a lot better than we do what the forwards are doing. Yeah. So if we picked a man of the match back in 1987, presuming we were alive, it might have been slightly different, but who knows? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Interesting one. Whereas, dick of the day is a draw between Australia and Wales okay. in terms of most nominations. Doesn't which surprise is not me. a surprise to anyone. No. That third place playoff is the biggest dick. We were still giving it to Antfinger. Yeah. Yeah, but it is worth noting, no one has swept the board in the way that Antfinger did. Mm-hmm. Like, there has not been, like, a real standout yeah. dick of the or day. Or Mata Rodriguez. Yeah, so... I mean, an interesting thing, in terms of the current leaders in Man of the Match and Dick of the Day, the most votes, mm-hmm. none of them would have made the top three in the 2011 series. Right. Part of that is having more games. Like, each team yes. had an extra game in the pool stage, which makes a difference. But, yeah, it's left us with fewer votes and everything. For neither mm. of this would end up in there. Fascinating. Fascinating. I wonder why that is. Could just be a pure mm. coincidence, but 
I don't know if it's maybe because we had less of a sense of perspective on the teams, potentially, and sure. the players. I don't know. It's a difficult one. The other thing is, right, we had in 2011 no votes for MISC for Man of the Match or Dick of the Day, but we had seven Dick of the Day nominations for referees <laughs> and none for com- oh, no, one for commentators. Whereas this time around, we have six Man of the Match votes for MISC, 14 Dick of the Day for MISC, five Dick of the Day for referees and officials, two Man of the Match for commentators and three Dick of the Day for commentators. <laughs> Like, we have put far less focus on the players this time. Yes, yeah. We've Eddie jones it. And that's... It's just the way this series of the podcast has gone. You know, we've had yeah. to keep ourselves entertained by giving the wind man of the match, as you did in that one game. <laughs> so, it's fair enough. It's understandable. It's funny to me. So, I am going to now run through the collated man of the match and dick of the day teams of the tournament. Yeah, I'm fascinated right? by this. As well as a 15, I have... A coach, a referee, a commentator, a mascot, a member of support staff, and the star of the team's cheese dreams. <laughs> now, they're not dreaming of Mazdas for either team, for both Dick of the Day okay, and Man of the Match. Cool. Okay? So I'll run through this quite quickly. Yeah. The Man of the Match team first. Should we start with? Yes, yeah? let's do it. Yes. So, at fullback, we have Superboot Severo Corridor. Yes! Of course. I definitely didn't give wings. him a tactical vote in his last game where he played 10. <laughs> on the wings... We have Craig Green and Mike Harrison of Wakefield. <laughs> Mike Harrison. The thing is, I kind of knew that one was coming frustratingly because it seemed mad at the time that he'd got multiple Man of the Match awards. So, yeah. Craig Green makes sense. We have, in the centres, Brett Papworth, who's in your Bad team, Daddy. of course, and Timothy the Dog. Yeah. What a guy. At 10, we have Michael Liner. Sneaks into the team. Mm-hmm. Ahead of, just ahead of Grant Fox by one vote. Very narrow between those two. At 9... We have a five-way draw between David Kirk, Rodif Modin of France, Nick Farr-Jones, Ian Stewart of Canada, who was a centre primarily, and Ray Giles of Wales. <laughs> five-way draw. Did they all get one vote each? They all got one vote each. Christ. So no one got we could it. just pick one of those. Players. Nick Far Jones. It's Nick Far Jones. Nick Far Jones. Cool. Or David Kirk. Nick Far Jones. Or David yeah, Kirk. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Oh, David, David Kirk was in the final. So. David Kirk. I was going to say this. So we need to pick one contender. So David Kirk's vote was in the final. So I say we go with him. That's that's a tie break. You know. Yeah. At loose head, we have Giancarlo Cuccia of Italy. Mm-hmm. At hooker, we have Colin Deans, and thank you for that. <laughs> At tight head, Louis Molina of Argentina. Mm-hmm. In the second row. Two icons of the game. Two of the most famous players the sport has ever produced. Stefan Constantine of Romania in the team of the tournament. Joined by Canada's Rohinson. <laughs> Did we unanimously agree with Derek Brissett when they beat Ireland by 54,000 points that he was the man of the match? Probably. He's one of only two second rows to be nominated. Okay. So, so it's slim pickings here. At six, we have Eric Schomp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got vote in the final as well. At seven, we have... It's a tie between Finlay Calder and Michael Jones. I say Michael Jones Jones won the that. World Cup, so he edges that. Yep, I think we, we give it to him. And Ian Paxton at eight. Fair play. As you say, probably should have had a look into our teams of the tournament, but he was yep. excellent. No coaches were nominated, so I gave it to John Kerwin, who has gone on to coach since, mm-hmm. who was the, the player Smart. who was coached who has the most... Folks. Yes. The referee is the wind. Uh, the commentator is Bill McLaren. The mascot is Fabio the dog. 
the member support staff is the St. John's Ambulance, and the star of the cheese dreams is Robert De Niro as Cabbage. <laughs> of course. And I've just figured out who the star of the che- cheese dreams on the other team is. Have you now? <laughs> yes. So, the dick of the day team yeah. of the tournament. This is the interesting one for 1987. This is the really interesting one, right? At fullback, not in the team of the tournament, but in the dick of the day tournament, is Serge Blanket. <laughs> That's fantastic. On one wing, we have a draw between David Campese. <laughs> of course. I was giving him Dick of the Day for just anything, though. All tournament. And Nofamuli Tauma Falau. Oh, yeah. To be fair, I he was a great player. But... The thing is, Tauma Falau's were in one game. Campese's yeah. a split over several. Mm. So I think we go for Campese. Yeah. On the well, tiebreaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, is, is there another wing? The other wing. The other wing. I have put a draw between Juan and Pedro Lanza. Oh, yes. Because they have two votes each. Okay. So I've put them together as one player. And they can play a half play each. Play half each. Because they're yeah. the same player. Yeah. Okay, so we're going with David Campese and the Lanza brothers on the wings. Yep. In the centres, we have Richard Simba, which is really <laughs> unfortunate. It is unfortunate, but it's justified. He did injure himself scoring try. Yeah. It would have been the winning try, but he got injured and conceded the try yeah, and couldn't the tackle. Injured. Yeah. Yeah. And at twelve, Mark Ring, creator of the master move. Yeah. Inside him, Jonathan Davis, Jiffy, obviously. Yeah, it had to be. At nine, Pierre Babezier. Oh really? It's absolutely fascinating that there are more players from your <laughs> team of the tournament in the dick of the day tournament than men of the match. Says a lot. There are no front rowers nominated for Dick of the Tournament. Wow. We no got through 2011 with no second rowers nominated. Yeah. So that's so fascinating. Clearly they've just all got, gotten away with it the whole time. Well, Pierre on darts is obviously one of them. Yeah. And like there was, I think there was a Zimbabwean threw a punch at one point. It was a front rower. Probably. I feel like. So you can probably go back through and pick three out. But yeah. they've done very well to not be under the microscope. Clean, clean, Slidden under clean. the radar. Yeah. Second row, we have Jean Condom and Neil Francis. Yeah. Has yeah, to be. hard to argue. Coley Rackleroy at six. It do, it, I do now remember that you literally gave Jean Condom Dick of the Day as a pun, but yes. <laughs> oh no, okay. I hate that. Derek White at seven and Slomi Tawafahe at eight. Okay, okay. Tonga. The coach for the team, using the same logic as John Kerwin, is Michael Bradley. Yes. The referee is a draw between Kerry Fitzgerald and Roger Quittenden. Yeah. Kerry Fitzgerald's vote was in the finals. So I'll say final. by the same logic as David Kirk. Yeah. goes to him. The commentator is Mark Eller, obviously. Yeah. What a prick. Yep. The mascot is the chicken tripper. Of course. Of course it is. It's the chicken prick. tripper. He tripped a chicken. I might, I might go to a chicken tripper after this, actually. <laughs> nice. The, I might go and see the support staff, who is Dr. Jeff Vanderfield. Yes, of course. <laughs> and the star of their cheese dream is Michelle Keegan. Yep. Had to be. Who you forced Grav to give Dick of the Day. No, he chose it. He no, chose, he chose it. it. Oh, sorry. Sorry. So <laughs> this leaves us in an interesting situation where we have a current table, a current leaderboard mm-hmm. for Man of the Match and Dick of the Day for most votes. Yes. And how we're going to work this out, same as last time, is we are each going to nominate a player of the tournament. We're going to pick a kind of top three. Yeah. Our number one vote will add three votes on to the Man of the Match or Dick of the Day totals. We also, I put out a poll on Twitter for the People's Man of the Match. Yes. So we've not done a People's Dick of the Day for reasons being that we've covered that in some depth. I think so. I think we ought to do 
the dick of the tournament stuff before the man of the tournament. I think we need to close on man of the yeah, tournament yeah, stuff. Yeah. I should, of course, you know, we, we sponsored the Mazda try of the tournament. This is, of course, the Steinlager dick of the tournament. <laughs> of course, of course. So our top three dick of the tournaments. Do you want to start with your list? Yes. Okay. So at number three, the mm-hmm. bronze medalist for Will Owen's dick of the tournament in 1987 Rugby World Cup is somebody who is on there purely for just being a dick who did nothing particularly dickish in this tournament so this is purely on reputation that he's managed to sneak his way onto the podium he would probably be gold if he was a bit more outspoken in this tournament and that's why my bronze medal for dick of the tournament goes to Neil Francis Neil Francis I was going to say David Campesi is my guess okay okay fair enough are we adding an extra vote on for third and second? Three points for first, two points for second. Sure. Why not? Okay. Why okay. not? Second on the podium, my mm. silver medalist for Dick of the Tournament is somebody who is objectively not a dick, but I think it would be disingenuous to this podcast if I didn't give this man some silverware because he has provided so many laughs as we've gone across okay. this tournament. Okay. And is somebody, okay, okay, okay. Somebody who suddenly, despite having only seen him play once, has yes. a very dear place in my heart. So the silver medal goes to Serafino Gizzoni, a.k.a. Absolutely. the Dolmio man. And that is the most heartfelt dick of the day I've ever given out, because I genuinely... I would watch him play rugby for 80 minutes every weekend, if I could. I would love to watch more of him play, because I was so thoroughly entertained by him. Should I do my my gold now? Please. please. So, drumroll. My dick of the tournament, my gold... The golden dick goes to only one man. For me, there's only one person this ever, ever could have gone to. And it is somebody who has not only said and done really strange things throughout this tournament, but somebody who, above all, is actually a dick. My golden dick of the tournament is Mark Eller. Oh! Okay. Firstly, for his comment of when Gordon Bray asked him, oh yeah, Miyamoto, isn't he having a great game? Mark Eller responded, I don't know, the Japanese all look the same. Yeah. Secondly, for live on air on television trying to hit on a woman in the stands yeah like generally he has to be my dick of the tournament yeah my list i'm sort of starting to reappraise slightly as we go okay okay but i'm gonna stick lazy as i lazy as i was lazy i did have noted down before we began Mm -hmm. so and i mean that i feel like there are plenty of people i'm missing Okay, so I did have jotted down the chairman of Rugby World Cup who wanged over pigeons oh, yeah. in third place. And I'm not sure if I stand by that now you bring up Neil Francis. Hmm. It's difficult, kind of... Ideally, we would ditch the whole, you know, somebody being an actual cunt thing. Yeah. And just do it in the spirit of what Dick of the Day is, which I realise I haven't done, arguably, for two out of three of my selections. But mm. I think the Mark Eller thing was very relevant to 1987, so that's why I favoured yes. him. Yes. So, I am going to put in someone that I considered putting in first, and instead decided against it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put Jiffy as my number three. Ooh! You know what? 
He's right lucky to avoid my top three. I didn't realise that. <laughs> he was very almost my number one. He was my number one until until right at the last second. Okay, interesting. My number two is Mark Eller. My number two is Mark Eller. Like, for the same reasons you list. Yeah. Like, it's just, he's just a bellend. <laughs> but my number one is someone that only got one vote on Ooh, okay. the rest of the tournament. Controversial, I love it. Whereas prior to this, everyone else suggests it's had quite a few votes, at mm-hmm. least two, like several votes, nominations throughout this tournament. But my vote, I think the moment it occurred to me, it could be this person, it could be no one else. My dick of the tournament for the 1987 Rugby World Cup is the rugby. <laughs> <laughs> you make a compelling point there, Robbie. The rugby has been a dick all tournament. Rugby is not quite the true winner. Or maybe it is. We'll, we'll conclude no. that at the end of this pod, whether rugby is the true winner. So the fun thing is, this has swung the vote massively. Prior to us adding our finale votes, mm-hmm. right? Serge Blanco and Jiffy were tied as the number one dick of the tournament, each with three votes. Right. But after this, Jiffy, Stefano Gazzoni and the rugby are all now on four votes. Okay. So that puts them in third place. No, that puts them in second place. Sorry, second place. Serge Blanco is now tied with Neil Francis on third place. Okay. But the gold medal, the dick of 1987, can be no one else. And I think we both wholeheartedly agree with this. It's Mark Eller. (laughs) Absolutely, it's Mark Eller. How can you fuck up your reputation so much in two or three commentary appearances? What an absolute... I can't top Bellend, is correct. Yeah. I thought about like, other fancier words, but they're just not right. It's fascinating that we've done two World Cups, and Dick of the Tournament both times has been won by an Australian. So, mm. an interesting thought for you there. Yeah. And yet, it's the Irish I'm biased against. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, it has to be Mark Eller. For very, very different reasons to a very well-meaning Anthony Fienga and the previous yes. tournament. But hey, it's our podcast, it's our interpretation. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so this moves us on to the player of the tournament. And we have quite a few suggestions flooding in from listeners, from people on Twitter that haven't listened to the podcast. There's a whole bunch. So I put up a poll, the four contenders that I I allowed people to vote for, as well as doing their own write-in votes, were John Kerwin, a dog who got on the pitch. That includes both Anthony and Timothy. Anthony? Anthony, Fabio and Timothy. Michael Liner, Superboot Corridor Doer. Michael Jones should be on there, but I wanted them to be from different nations. Yeah, that's fair enough. So I split them up. Then a second poll as well in a follow-up tweet with Grant Fox, Alan Wetton, Philippe Seller, and Richard Simba. <laughs> I, lo- I love the, the shout of Richard Simba. That's brilliant. So we have had, over those two polls, over 2,000 votes. That's incredible. In two hours. That's brilliant. In two hours. And the winner... Of the first poll is quite clear. Mm. The winner of the second poll is also quite clear. Yes. But the winner of the write-in votes is even clearer. Okay. Right? I'd like to go through some of the uh, write-in votes while while we're here. We'll do that in a moment. We'll do that in a moment. So the very, very clear winner of the write-in votes is Michael Jones. Okay. Interesting. There are so many people writing and just saying the words Michael Jones. There is, I'm literally scrolling through, I am at eight tweets that just say Michael Jones and nothing else. Wow. There's a bunch more as well. As more. We have him, Mark D, saying Michael Jones, John Kerwin second, John Devereaux third. Fair enough. 
We also have an awful lot of South Africans complaining, either saying like, oh, I thought there wasn't a World Cup to 1995, or saying things like Ray Mort or Danny Graber would have been, Nas Bofa would have been, player of the tournament if only South Africa were allowed to play. So we got a lot of vote for players that didn't play, which in fairness is in keeping with this podcast entirely. But yeah, Michael Jones, the nailed in, I mean, James Weil of Planet Rugby and of questioning... <laughs> whether Rugby should have a halftime show, says that Michael Jones, by such a distance, it's staggering. No other player gets close, not even JK. I assume he's rolling? But Bezier would probably be my runner-up, though he also does mention Superboot in another tweet. Superboot. We also have, yeah, a bunch more, a bunch more. Yeah. Simon Rogers brings up Nick Ray, Ray Nelson. Ray it's a great shout. 100% kicking accuracy. Ray O'Leary here says Alan Laurier, which is... A great shout, brilliant player. Ben James, friend of the pod, has suggested Tom Chaplin from Keane as player of the tournament. Ross Harris off of the t- telly, off the TV, mm. the guy of the the guy of the TV. He 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 said Mark Ring for suggesting the Mazda move, which I think is why he's in the dick of the tournament team. Sure, but... yeah, yeah. If ever you're going to give reasoning for Mark Ring, it should be that he had he had the shithousey kind of instinct to make up a move that would potentially win him a car. So, yeah. respect, Ross. We have Globorus, the bar staff that served the Welsh team when they went on an all-night bender after winning a match. It's <laughs> a good point. It's a good point. But what I've really liked, and forgive me if I've jumped ahead a little bit here, is there have been multiple listeners of the podcast who have written in to say that they have been really, really torn having to choose between Fabio and Timothy and Superboot. Yes. Being the true sweethearts of the podcast. Which I can only imagine how tough it is. Yeah. I didn't have to choose. I didn't get to vote in this. I I did. I posted it. I did. So who did you vote for? So I voted for Dog Who Got on the Pitch. And then I realised how low Superboot was on the poll. And I quote tweeted it saying, don't let Superboot lose. And I immediately regretted that. Then on the second poll, I looked at it and thought, well, no one's going to fucking vote for Richard Simba, are they? And voted for him and realised he was winning. So yeah, so... As I said, like Tom's workbench mentioned that Superboot and the dog being one of the hardest choices they've ever had to make, and then suggested we do merch for Superboot and the two dogs, which I think is a very good idea. Yeah, and why not? To come back to yeah. Bizarre comment from Kevin Lewis, right? And I want to read this out. I was a student in 1987. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where do you think this is going? Have you seen this comment? I've not seen this comment. No. I assume this is going to be something along the lines of, I watched the World Cup, I loved it, it got me into rugby. That's where I guess it's going. Um, I watched the semi-final in bed, coaching with my friend Shoan. Right. I think she'd be my player of the 1987 World Cup. So did you say Mark Eller wrote in about this? <laughs> so that is from Kevin Lewis. Fair play, Kevin. I hope you enjoyed the tournament. Uh, yeah. I'm delighted that congratulations and good luck. Above all, it's it's difficult to know how to respond to such a message. But thank you for writing in regardless. I hope you're having a nice day. Yeah, thank you to Ian Evans for also, not that one, for also struggling to vote between Dog on the Pitch and Superboot. Derek Reese for saying Michael Jones, different class, only one option. Camembert Barrow with 30 points in one game comes from Carl Clear. Great point. Thomas Kundal suggests Stefano Gazzoni. How is he not an option? Yeah, that's a, that's a great shout. Love it. Ian Martin Williams says the Iceman, being Grant Fox. Mm-hmm. Rob versus Nature mentions he was eight at the time, but the thing he remembers most is Glenn Webb's hat trick against Tonga. Oh, yes. Look past John Kerwin, though. And Safa Zimbo 4 
mentions he is biased, but Richard Timber, the Black Zyme, Black Diamond, not Zyman. <laughs> yeah, Black Diamond. I love that. Great shout. And hey, we're giving you a platform to use your bias. That's okay. Please do. Please do. We also, yeah, had a couple of people quote tweeting suggesting to vote for Richard Timber in the second poll. So yeah, we've come in with quite a well-rounded range of answers, I think, here. Certainly, certainly. But the clear winner of the poll, with 58% of the vote... It's a landslide, right, mate. That's over from half. 1,700 plus votes. Yeah. So that's coming in with like 800-odd votes, probably. More than everybody else combined, including Superboot. The two dogs on the pitch. Now, I didn't split it, so I say we give three vote. Do we give three votes to each of them, two votes to each of them? I say give give, give three to each. Three to each. Because... Okay. I don't know. I don't know. What do you reckon? Two to each? Two, two, two and a half. Two and a half. Two and a half to each. Split vote. Okay, yeah. Half to each. If there is a tie break necessary, then they have it. Yes. That makes okay. sense. So those two come with two and a half votes each. Okay. I think Michael Jones also gets two votes for his absolutely nailed 100%. Write-ins. He, he has to get something from that. I would argue that the write-in vote probably puts him as second place as player of the tournament I think so. behind I think the so. dogs. Yeah. So I'm giving him two votes there yeah. on the write-ins. And the final point, the final point, right? And I've now got to do some quick maths and try to work out who got more votes. Was it John Kerwin, who is second on there? So John Kerwin would have got 324 votes versus Richard Simba, who would have got 214. Yeah. So John Kerwin takes that final spot narrowly ahead. So he gets an extra point on his table, correct? Yes, John Kerwin nabs one extra point. Respect to John Kerwin. Very good tournament from him. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, this has changed the complexion of the table quite a lot, these fan votes. However, we have our own players of the tournament. We do. I don't quite know how it's shaping up, so it could be quite tight, I'm guessing, at the top. Mm. So any vote could make a difference. So, for our own personal votes for player of the tournament, does that yes. that gives them an extra two or three points? I take it. We'll add the we'll do the same system where third place will give you one, second place will give you two, first place will give you three. Fantastic. Okay. Oh man, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. Mm. So, should we each do our third place first? We'll take it okay. in turns for that. Okay. So, for me, I'll start... I have, by the way, I have decided to take this seriously and respect the tournament in the spirit of the last two episodes of this. Okay. So, I have gone with the players who I thought were genuinely the players of the tournament. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I... And so, my third place mm. is Philippe Seller. Oh, great shout. Yeah, I think extremely well-deserved. My third place is Alan Wetton. Again, it feels harsh putting him in third because such a great player had such a consistently great tournament but it's hard to see past him completely get that i'd never realized until trying to search for his dick of the day in man of the match votes that the word alan is in new zealand oh yeah. huh. so second place on our players of the tournament do you want me to start this one please please second place again very tough selection but a player who I think was class from the first time he touched the ball right to the very end of the tournament is Grant Fox. I think he pulled the strings. Grant Fox. 
So he's my second place player of the tournament. Oh man, I should have picked Grant Fox. Grant Fox is not in my top three. Mm. I think he, he was undoubtedly one of the best rugby players on the planet at this point for me. He was. He was. He was so good. And I spent so much of this podcast waxing lyrical about him mm. and I just haven't picked him at all. Hey, it's, it, it, it's, it's fair enough. It's fair enough. But there you go. Yeah, that's really tough on him. My number two is... It's Superboot. My number two Ooh. is the Superboot. Coro do a do. Hello. Hello. I mean, Superboot is the best. So he is the best. Oh, man. It's a great, such a great selection. Just the best. Instantly iconic. Kept Fiji in a lot of games. Mm. Was maybe the biggest aspect in them achieving their best ever results of the Rugby World Cup to date. For sure. Was brilliant. Was just superb across every game he played. Dropped that one ball in the quarterfinal. But other than that, almost flawless. I love it. I love it. And I love Superboot. What can I say? So it brings us on to first place. Yes. Do you want to kick us off? Okay. Okay. My player of the tournament, I feel quite clear in this. And he's someone that hasn't actually been that well respected in these up until here. In the kind of votes and polling. But it's John Kerwin. Okay. Okay. Anything else you want to say about John Kerwin? I... Just think John Kerwin is borderline unplayable whenever he gets the ball. Yeah. I think he just looks a cut above in every aspect of the game. He looks like he's playing... He looks like a player from, like, decades ahead of his time. He is, yeah, the best player in the tournament for me. And he may not necessarily have the biggest impact, but every time he does touch the ball, it does have an impact. It is the most seismic and the most felt. It's extremely difficult to disagree with anything you've just said. You're so right, like... You never see him get the ball and go backwards or something. No. You know, there wasn't really a player in this tournament until the final. There wasn't a point where somebody had his number, you know, and no. he still scored in that final. He still found a way to the try line. It's it's a mark of a world-class player. and Basically a perfect winger at this point. Yeah, this stage you, you're spot on. It's one of the, the best tournament-wide performances John Cohen's had. And I'm not going to lie, I've completely overlooked him. And that's on mm. me. Wow. Uh, I've, okay. I've overlooked him that... I think it's probably a bit late for me to kind of shuffle things, shuffle a few people <laughs> down and stuff. But ultimately, my player of the tournament from the 1987 Rugby World Cup. Dog on the pitch! Timothy the dog is my player of the tournament. Timothy rather than Fabio. I've gone for Timothy. He had a bigger impact. Okay. Okay. My player of the tournament is Timothy the dog. There was a point... A minute ago, when you gave your second place to Superboot, when I thought about, oh, could I like rig this and give Superboot player of the tournament? But truthfully, my my player of the tournament is and has to be a dog on the pitch. Give up. Because I've done the maths now. I've added this up. I've added this up. And it means we do now have a clear player of the tournament. Okay, can you give us the top three players of the tournament from the final votes? Because I have no idea. I mean, I can figure out one of them, but... So, we had quite a few changes. Mm -hmm. We have now in fourth place, Philippe Seller, Michael Liner, and Mike Harrison of Wakefield. (laughs) Yeah. All come tied in fourth place. And Michael Jones. Michael Jones. Those players all tie in fourth place. Okay. So they're kind of bubbling under our other contenders. Honourable mentions, But... On the podium. Top three. We have... Oh, no, sorry. No, sorry. That is fifth place. That is fifth place. I've got my maths wrong. That is fifth place. In fourth place, we have Grant Fox. Ooh, okay. 
So he's just an honorable mention. He's not even on the podium. Just an honorable mention. Okay, go on. Hit hitters with the podium. Third place, and this is incredibly narrow, is a draw between Superboot, Corridua Dua, and John Kerwin. Oh, okay. I can't shove either of them off the tied podium. They can on share five votes. five votes. They're tied in third place on five votes. Respect. Meaning that second place is Fabio the dog. Yes! <laughs> Which, of course, on 5.5, so it's incredibly narrow, that point, that half vote, is the decider in giving Fabio the dog <laughs> second place. Which means that our player of the tournament is Timothy the Dog. Yes! Get in! Get you in! You completely screwed that over at the end. <laughs> yeah, you did! You asked for this when you asked me to do a podcast with you. So, our, to recap, our dick of the tournament is Mark Eller, but our player of the tournament is a top three of two dogs and then a draw between Fiji's greatest ever player and the greatest winger of all time. Yeah, so... The play- or, you know, amongst the conversation. <laughs> Look, this is, this is the, the probably the first rugby podcast Jesus. who have definitively decided that the 1987 player of the tournament was a Rottweiler. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> this is a stupid podcast. Look, who's on- a, a podium of Timothy, Fabio and Superboot is my dream. For reference, the winner of the last vote was Richie McCaw. Yeah, yeah. It's great to see two greats mingling in the, the private lounge. It's a dog. <laughs> yeah. This time our player of the tournament is a dog. Yeah. He's, he's a Rottweiler from uh, from New Zealand. Okay. Right, how do you feel about like the tournament now it's done and stuff? <laughs> You're so <laughs> done with this shit, aren't you? Yeah. You know what? I've loved it. I've, I, I will miss it. I think there are points where I might have taken it for granted a little bit because some yeah. of the rugby was so shit, but I will genuinely really miss it. And there's a part of me that thinks like, oh, I'm not going to see any worse rugby than this on this podcast ever again. There's a part of me that does want to do 91 next to really follow it up. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. But I'm looking forward to coming back to that. That's something that we genuinely yeah. really have to look forward to. Something else as well, while I'm here, I mm. want to say, something that I've really, really enjoyed throughout this tournament is the commentary of Keith Quinn. I yes. just really want to say, yeah, want to say play. that, that he's, he was excellent. And he's somebody I've taken the piss out of quite a lot on this podcast. But you can tell from the way he commentates, and he's still active on Twitter and stuff, so I'm told. Yeah. He's a really good sport, and I really like that about him, that the art of commentary is something that he perfected. And I've absolutely loved his company in this. He's been exactly what this tournament has needed. Yeah, he is so knowledgeable mm. and passionate about the game. Yes. And that's clearly continued, and he loved this World Cup as a moment in time, you could sure. tell at the time. And by the fact he's written books about it and mm. spoken so much about it since, it's remained that way. Truly I think, a yeah, legend. Absolutely. Like, Truly a legend of the commentary game. ambassador for the game, he's been fantastic. Yeah. And we talked about Bill McLaren commentating, and he's been wonderful as well. He's been fantastic. Discovered as well that he commentated on that semi-final between France and Australia, and we missed oh. that by watching it with French comms. But we could have had that. That would have been phenomenal. That would have been incredible. But it was. There was. No, I completely agreed with Keith Quinn. I completely agreed Yeah, Bill McLaren as well. Mm. But yeah, fantastic. Fantastic stuff. And Robert De Niro's Cabbage really made this tournament. Yes. 
While we're here as well, I would just quickly like to say thank you to Tom Rosenthal for yes, his of amazing Do You Want to Go to Rugby Heaven? Let's Go Back to 1987 theme tune, which is a banger. I think I mentioned this before. Every time I edit this podcast, I always listen back to that because it's so great. So huge thank you to Tom Rosenthal for an incredible theme song. And also to the following guests that we've had on. Mm. Jamie Lyle, Jamie Wall, Wibble Rugby, Regarth Jones, Derek Brissett, Ian Hay, Harrison Dale, Nelson Dale, Adam Jenkins, Grav Prosser, Sav from Line Break, Lee Calvert, Paul Williams, Ben James and Josh Gardner. All been fantastic. And also Tom Savage, who did the Lions series with us. Yes. All, yeah. all fantastic guests. Some of them we've had as repeats, some of them on for the first time. We've got a load of new guests as well for 07, which is super, super exciting. Yeah, we've got lined up. But thank you all for making this podcast so enjoyable as time's gone on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you to everyone that's been on it. Thank you to everyone that's listened, that's put up mm. with this. We'll be back to more relevant and hopefully understandable yes. <laughs> rugby with the next series on 2007. We'll see you very soon for that. We may take focus for the ongoing yes. World Cup. We'll probably have a come few back weeks that. off this podcast. Yeah. At some point in the next few weeks, we might have the blooper reel going out, which is just oh, a yes. collection of moments where one of us has said something stupid and so on. It might not be that enjoyable. It's only going to be the about half an hour. Of- Moments which one of us says something stupid to the podcast. Yeah, that's true. Okay, collection moments where one of us says something incorrectly. Uh, Look out for the moment about... where Jamie Lyle goes to the toilet. Yes, that's that's a particularly great one. And we have to try and make small talk while Jamie's on the toilet without talking about the game. It's fantastic. But yeah, that's about half an, a half hour long compilation, which will, will be out mm-hmm. at some point in the next couple of weeks before we eventually come back for 2007. I cannot wait. Brilliant. Thank you very much. We'll see you then for 2007 where I promise we won't make up any games. Dog on the pitch! John Kerwin. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.